Welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Listen to Joe tackle the really tough moral issues, current events, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Now here's Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Hello again, Sixpackers, and welcome back to The Cantankerous Catholic, episode 63. I never intended to create an episode based on the responses to the survey I asked you to take a couple of weeks ago, but that's exactly what this episode is. There are a few things that'll be just plain fun to talk about, but there are also several things you told me that provide a real teaching moment. Some of what I have to say just may cost me a few listeners, but whether I anger you that badly or not, you can always count on me giving you the truth. The absolute and sometimes brutal truth. I've been sharing the faith with people for over 30 years. The Holy Spirit has used me to make hundreds of converts and 84 of them are my adult godchildren. When the Holy Spirit works through us in a big way, He usually uses the talents given to us before we were even born. When we develop those talents for Him, we're often impelled to pass on to others what we've done and how we've done it for the greater glory of God. That's why I wrote the Lay Evangelist Handbook. You might say the Lay Evangelist Handbook was 30 years in the making, because in this book I share with you all the best that I've learned about how to share the faith with laps and non-Catholics so you can bring your friends and family to the fullness of divinely revealed truth. The very first chapter gives you a thorough explanation of the things you need to do to maximize your effectiveness so you won't end up with egg on your face when trying to engage people. I explain the differences between the various types of lay evangelists and others you can learn from. I even talk about some statistics that should help give you a real sense of urgency for sharing the faith. Then I get to the step-by-step process for sharing the faith. I give a full presentation of the exact text I've used and refined for 30 years. I tell you what to do, what to say, and how to do and say it, while leaving room for you to work in your own personality and make these techniques your own. There's no other book like this on the market. So get your print or ebook copy of the Lay Evangelist Handbook today. It's available in print on cantankerouscatholic.com or in print and ebook on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Let's dispense with the fun stuff first. The first question was, please brainstorm to give my new upcoming podcast a good name. As you'll recall, I mentioned I'm planning a new podcast in answer to the EWTN poll I did an episode on two weeks ago. There were several good suggestions. Some were funny, others were serious, sometimes a little too serious. I keep all my surveys set to keep me from seeing how any one person answers them. In other words, I maintain anonymity for survey participants. That's why I asked you to include your email address along with the podcast name suggestions. Unfortunately, the person who made what I think is the best suggestion didn't include an email. The best suggestion, the one I'm going to use for the new podcast, is the Catholic Boot Camp. In fact, I've got my graphic designer working on the podcast artwork right now. 
Anyway, I'd appreciate it if the person who made the suggestion would contact me so I can find out which of my books you want. Next, you did an outstanding job telling me that you want all of the course topics I asked about. But it was when I asked for additional topics in the next question that you six-packers made me proud. One respondent made an excellent suggestion that I include Mexican subtitles to the video course because Mexican people are being proselytized right out of the church. I'd love to be able to do that, but I can't. I simply can't afford it. There's barely enough revenue flowing in to cover expenses as it is. To have the transcripts translated by someone I could trust to do it correctly would cost me around $500 per video, and I estimate there will be in excess of 50 videos. It was a great suggestion, though, and I appreciate it. If the Joe Sixpack the Every Catholic Guy Apostolate ever begins to get enough revenue to do this, it'll get done. Another respondent wrote, I don't think the average person knows why birth control is against the teachings of the church. I didn't until you told me. The obvious suggestion is that I include a course explaining why contraception is wrong. In fact, there were others who want this course as a topic as well. I think that's a great idea. I want to explain it from the perspectives of both divine law and natural law. However, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't include some how-to information on the best NFP practices. I'm simply not competent to teach that, so I've written to the Fertility Care Centers of America and asked them if they'd be willing to provide that part of the course. They teach the Creighton Model Fertility Care System, which is not only the most certain means of spacing births, but this method can actually be used to help couples who are having trouble getting pregnant to be able to do so. At any rate, we'll see how they respond. I have more stuff to cover about answers I really like, but there was one response here that affords an opportunity for a teaching moment, and I want to tackle that. The respondent wrote, Defending the Catholic faith, especially on the attacks on the fundamentalists, but to have a more charitable tone since we want to win them over, if God would allow, instead of debating since I find it uncharitable. I'm not picking on this person, nor am I picking on the people who agree with this respondent. Still, you need to understand something about what you're calling charity. There's genuine charity, and there's fake, misguided charity. Don't make the mistake of confusing politeness with charity. The implication from the respondent is that I'm not being charitable in the methods and techniques I use. That's an objection I've had to answer throughout most of my 30-plus years as a lay evangelist. I don't mind this objection, and I most certainly don't take offense to it. But I do defend my methods and techniques assertively. Evangelization is always a combination of catechetics and apologetics. I spent the first several years using the charitable politeness implied by this respondent, but it's a fake, misguided charity that has no place in conveying the truth. Truth by its very nature makes people angry. Truth offends people. Truth is never polite, and I'm certain this person isn't alone in thinking I'm counterproductive in the way I do things. Genuine charity, however, is absolute truth, no matter the reaction of the listener. There's no one among you who'd say that Jesus wasn't charitable. Jesus was perfect in his charity because he's God incarnate. 
But the charity Jesus showed was absolutely nothing like the polite charity people commonly think of as charity. He publicly and quite vocally called men liars, hypocrites, and white-painted sepulchers full of dead men's bones. He drove the money changers from the temple with a whip. Is that polite? Does that sort of behavior comport to what we commonly think of as charity? People often rebut this by saying that Jesus could do that because he's God. That's just a cowardly cop-out. We're all taught from the very beginning to imitate Jesus in everything. He taught us that, the apostles and biblical writers of the New Testament taught us that, and priests and bishops teach us that today. Yet if a person does what Jesus did, calling men hypocrites, liars, and such, then that person's told it's wrong to do it. Folks, we can't have it both ways. We either imitate Jesus or we don't. My mother is a master at what I call scorched earth diplomacy. I've seen her be so harsh with people that it's like telling them they're ugly and their mother dresses them funny. She does it in such a way, though, that I've actually seen the objects of her ire smile and thank her. It's only later that it dawns on them what she actually said. I've never learned to master that particular art, so I just do what I do. If I think it, I say it. What comes up, comes out and it's worked very well some 30-plus years and hundreds of converts later. I used this polite charity the first several years I evangelized and met with nominal results. Then it dawned on me that Jesus gave us the example of perfect charity by telling the absolute and sometimes brutal truth. Once I started doing things the way Jesus did and took a few cues from St. Paul's and the early church father's writings, everything began to change. Consequently, the Holy Spirit has used me to make hundreds of converts in one-on-one -on -one and small group venues. If you want to see exactly how I do it, pick up a copy of the Lay Evangelist Handbook. I give a step-by-step -step explanation of exactly how I evangelize, a method God has blessed hundreds of times over. I tell you exactly what I say and do, when I say and do it, and even anticipate objections. In the introduction, I explain all about my methods and techniques, as well as everything you need to do to prepare yourself for evangelization. Anyone who reads this book will be able to evangelize, even if you don't use my methods. If you want to get a copy of the Lay Evangelist Handbook, you can get both the print and Kindle versions from Amazon.com, or you can order the print version from the Cantankerous Catholic website. There's a link for it in my show notes. Another person wrote, Traditional Mass versus Novus Ordo, Pre-Vatican II versus Vatican II, Modernism. This respondent implies that the problems we face in the church today is a consequence of Vatican II and the Novus Ordo Mass, or ordinary form. This affords yet another teaching moment. First of all, anyone who blames the Novus Ordo Mass for our problems clearly doesn't understand the theological nature of the holy sacrifice of the Mass. That's why I'm going to create a video course about the origins and nature of the Mass. Most of you are probably like this respondent in that you love the traditional Latin Mass. I get your love for it. I love it too. In fact, I prefer it. However, the Novus Ordo is every bit as much a valid Mass as is the Latin version. 
In fact, the Novus Ordo more closely resembles the Mass celebrated by first-century priests than the Latin Mass. Vatican II is another matter. When people begin to bring in Vatican II as a thing to blame for the Church's current woes, I always, 100% of the time, tell them they don't have any earthly idea what they're talking about. When they lay the blame at the foot of Vatican II, I know they've never actually read the conciliar documents in toto. Well, I have read them, both dogmatic and pastoral documents. The thing to keep in mind is that the pastoral documents are just that, pastoral. As pastoral documents, they could allow for some experimentations or changes in our practices, but they in no way impact doctrinal or dogmatic beliefs. Some things from the Vatican II pastoral documents have been abrogated. Some things have been expanded. But nothing in those documents altered the constant 2,000-year teachings of the Church. The dogmatic documents of Vatican II are extraordinary in their beauty. Reading the dogmatic documents, such as Lumen Gentium, for example, will make you proud to be a Catholic. You see, the dogmatic documents of Vatican II are really nothing more than a completion of Vatican I. Vatican I was doing some magnificently beautiful work, but it never got to finish. The Italian Revolution broke out during that council and forced the bishops to return to their countries. Vatican II completed the work of Vatican I. In a testimonial letter Raymond Leo Cardinal Burke wrote for me almost four and a half years ago, he said, A gravely defective catechesis which marked the life of the Church in the years following the Second Vatican Ecumenical Council, though not because of the Council, contributed to the loss of faith, the lack of a devotional life, and left subsequent generations devoid of a concrete way to know the Catholic faith and live it. Notice his eminence was quick to point out that Vatican II has had nothing to do with our current sad state of affairs. I've known Cardinal Burke since he was the Bishop of La Crosse, and I can tell you that he knows what he's talking about. In fact, Raymond Leo Cardinal Burke is the most outspoken and prolific defender of Catholic Orthodoxy anywhere in the English-speaking world. As his eminence attests, Vatican II was a valid and infallible council. He and I have talked about this on more than one occasion. This isn't a teaching moment, but there's one other course suggestion I want to mention. The respondent asked for a course on the end times. That merits some comment. At the end of the 4th century, the councils of Hippo and Carthage determined what books would be included in the Bible. Did you know that the book of Revelation was almost excluded from the canon of Scripture? It wasn't because the bishops had any doubts about its inspiration. It was because they were concerned that people would do exactly what Protestants and some Catholics have done for the last 150 years. Protestants have obsessed about the end times to the exclusion of worrying about the here and now. Yet the Catholic Church has told us from the beginning not to worry about Jesus returning and the end of the world. The Church tells us to worry about the end of our own personal world. You see, I may meet the end of my existence here on earth before I even finish recording this episode. You may see the end of your world before you finish listening to this episode. I'm personally of the opinion we're in the end times, but I think little of it. I realize I could die at this moment. Then what good would it have done for me to worry about the end of the world? 
If I obsessed about the end times, I probably wouldn't bother with this podcast, the webinars I host, or anything else I do for the sake of souls. Be ready for the end of your world. Stay in the state of grace and work in his vineyard as if he's never coming back. Then, regardless of what happens, you'll get to hear him say, Come, O blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Finally, I want to thank you for all the very kind words you said about the work Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy, does. To put it into perspective, everything this apostolate does is for the sake of souls. At this point, nothing else matters. We have to work in the vineyard to harvest the grapes to be certain Jesus has fine wine when he returns. And remember, comfort and conviction don't live on the same block. Hi there, friends and neighbors. This is your old pal, El Monte Slim, telling you to start reading Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy's weekly column in The Wander, America's oldest independent Catholic newspaper. The folks at The Wander have made a special trial subscription offer just for you Sixpackers, and it's only $39 for six months. That's only a buck and a half an issue, less than a cup of coffee. Joe has a subscription link in his show notes. So listen to the old pal El Monte Slim and subscribe today. Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, wants to make sure you're informed about all the Catholic news you need to know. Here's Joe Sixpack's top five Catholic news picks for this episode. Catholic news pick number five. Hats off to LifeSite News. Poland's bishops have asked for more masses as a response to the coronavirus epidemic. You go, Polish bishops. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic news pick number four. Hats off to the Hill. President Trump will launch a Catholics for Trump coalition in a campaign appearance in Milwaukee this week, his re-election campaign said. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick number three. Hats off to LifeSite News. If you think I've been overreacting about the rise of Satanism, you really need to read this story and watch its accompanying 30-second video. Satanism has become mainstream just the way Christianity used to be. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic Catholic News Pick pick number two. Hats off to Catholic News Agency. A new consecration to St. Joseph is spreading like wildfire. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic Catholic News News Pick pick number one. Hats off to LifeSite News. Cardinal Burke says Pope Francis' Amazon exhortation could lead the faithful into error. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Warning to snowflakes. If he thinks it, he says it. It's time now for Joe Sixpack's Common Sense Catholic Commentary. Queen Elizabeth of England, whom the British called Good Queen Best because she regularly oppressed Catholics, was out in the English countryside with her hunting party when she came upon a venerable old farmer working his field. 
She soon discovered that the old man was a fervent Catholic, faithful to the old religion. The queen tactfully tried to win the old man over to the religion of her father, King Henry VIII. The old farmer listened attentively and respectfully as she spoke, even nodding his head and smiling occasionally. And as she continued to speak, he thoughtfully stroked his rather full and impressive beard. The queen concluded by asking him, Well, will you convert and join us? The old man slowly shook his head from side to side, grasped his beard firmly with his right hand, and asked, How can I join a religion that is younger than my own gray beard? The old farmer's answer to the queen was very wise. The question of the age of the non-Catholic Christian religions is a good point, but our separated brethren never seemed to grasp that. King Henry VIII broke with the Catholic Church in 1534 when he declared himself head of the church in England. But it was Martin Luther who started it all with his break from the church in 1517. Until 1517, there was no other Christian religion in the world but the Catholic Church. If I were a Protestant, and I was, I would have to reasonably ask myself, and I did, are we to believe that we had to wait 1,500 years after Christ descended into heaven to get the fullness of divine revelation? That seems to be what Protestants truly do believe, yet that makes no sense at all. We can prove the divine establishment of the church on the basis of history alone, but an unfortunate reality is that most people neither know nor care about history. Okay, history aside, is there a means by which we can look at the 40,000 Christian religions in North America alone and determine which is the one true church founded by Christ? The answer is most certainly yes. In order to identify the church founded by Jesus Christ, we must find the marks that only he alone could and would leave as identifying characteristics of his church. We call those characteristics the marks of the church. There are four primary marks, and they're easily identifiable. It's true that some other churches may have one of those marks, and a few may even possess two of the marks. But there's only one, the one founded by our Lord, that has all four marks. Those marks that he gave his church are one, holy, Catholic, and apostolic. We say the Catholic Church is one because all our members profess the same faith, participate in the same sacraments, and obey the Roman pontiff as the vicar of Christ. Jesus never spoke of a plurality of churches, but of my church, when he promised Peter that he'd make him the rock foundation of the church he was about to establish. The church is always pictured in the New Testament as visibly one, presided over by Peter, who represents Christ, telling all men until the end of time to believe only what he and his apostles taught, and to obey their commands, and to worship as he had commanded. Christ plainly foretold that the gates of hell would never prevail against his church, and that he'd provide for its unity by his own presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's granted that the private judgment of the individual naturally brings about disunion in the church, but Christ ensured its unity by a special supernatural grace, which he asked of his father the night before he died, that they may all be one, even as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they may also be in us. 
The glory which thou hast given me I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and thou in me, that they may become perfectly one. St. Paul insists on the unity of the church in all his epistles. Although he mentions individual local churches in some cities, what we call dioceses today, he teaches clearly that they are parts of the one church in every place. The church isn't a mere organization that can be divided and subdivided like a nation or club, but a divine organism with its own inherent principle of life. It's Christ's mystical body, of which he's the head and all Christians are members. It's founded by one Lord, given life by one Spirit, entered into by one baptism, and ruled by a united body of bishops, and having one aim, the glory of God and the salvation of men's souls. Being one is to be united, as Christ demands. We must remember that he isn't Jesus the warm fuzzy, but rather Jesus the incarnate word of God. That means we're obliged to be obedient to his church in all matters of faith and morals. We must obey Christ through his church on everything in the Ten Commandments and all that they imply. Many Catholics seem to think they can pick and choose what to believe and not believe, what to obey and what not to obey. If what Christ through his church demands isn't comfortable, is difficult, or doesn't feel good, they simply choose not to obey. These Catholics are typically referred to as cafeteria Catholics. The fact is, they aren't really Catholics at all. They have voluntarily separated themselves from the Catholic Church, and their eternal souls are in grave danger. I can actually emphasize with many modern Catholics in their cafeteria attitude. Indeed, they can't be fully blamed. After all, there was a gross rebellion among many leaders in the 70s that led to a truly dumbed-down catechesis in our country. Hence the reason we see virtually no one going to confession every week, month after month, year after year, but everybody seems to go to communion every single Sunday. Even that's understandable, since surveys clearly show that 70% of Catholics no longer believe in the real presence of Christ in the Holy Eucharist. And the reason for the lack of belief is the dumbed-down catechesis. Next week, we'll continue the discussion of the marks of the church. Learn things about the Catholic faith you never knew in Joe Sixpack's Secrets of the Catholic Faith. There are many essentials to our holy and ancient faith that few modern Catholics know. Those essentials have become, well, secrets, hence the title Secrets of the Catholic Faith. Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy, is always exciting, never boring, and completely politically incorrect. He never shies away from the so-called untouchable moral issues. With his use of humor and directness, readers and students can never get enough of what he teaches. According to Joe, there isn't one single teaching of the Catholic Church that can't be completely demonstrated to an inquiring mind. Everything can be demonstrated. But the Catholic laity aren't being taught these things. They're being fed pablum when they need and want meat. Secrets of the Catholic Faith is actually exciting, and it will make any Catholic's chest swell with pride. So get your copy of Secrets of the Catholic Faith by Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy, today in print or ebook on Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes and Noble, and Kobo.
I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. A simple peasant of ours in France, whether going to his work or returning from it, never passed the church without entering to adore Jesus, his friend, in the tabernacle. He'd leave his tools at the front door and remain for an hour or more sitting or kneeling before the tabernacle. The pastor of the church was St. John Vianney, known as the curé of ours, the patron saint of parish priests. St. John watched this humble man with delight but he never noticed the slightest movement of the man's lips. One day he asked the man, Friend, what do you say to our Lord in those long visits you make every day? The man replied with a smile, I don't say anything to him. I look at him and he looks at me. This was a beautiful prayer of adoration, although no words were spoken. Your heart can speak silently simply by loving Jesus. Maybe this was the kind of adoration Mary gave Jesus, her son and her God, as he lay in the manger on Christmas morning. Sometime when you can't find the words to say, just look at Jesus and let him look at you. That's it for this episode, Six Packers. Be sure to come back and listen to next week's episode. If you like The Cantankerous Catholic, be sure to write a review wherever you download it so other like-minded Catholics can more easily find it. And be sure to visit my show notes to get links to other things relevant to this episode. As long as you're on the show notes, drop a comment at the bottom to let me know what you think of this episode or to suggest topics for future episodes. If you happen to be on cantankerouscatholic.com for the show notes, download a free copy of The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It, Volume 1, and visit the Joe's Stuff page to get copies of my other books and some really neat coffee mugs. I think you six-packers are the cream of the Catholic crop, and I really appreciate you listening. Just remember, though, comfort and conviction don't live on the same block. This has been The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Thanks for subscribing, and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It.